0: Welcome back, friends. James Corbett here at CorbettReport.com. You're tuned into Solutions Watch, and today I have a special treat for you. Today we're going to be talking to a guest, specifically Christian Westbrook, a.k.a. the Ice Age Farmer at IceAgeFarmer.com, someone whose work I'm sure you will be familiar with, if only for the fact that I've referenced his work a couple of times, most recently on the most recent edition of New World Next Week, where I uh, referenced his reporting on the JBS cyber attack food supply conglomeration of stories that uh, hit the mainstream news after I first heard about it on the Ice Age Farmer podcast. So I hope you are subscribed to his work that way. I've also referenced him back in episode 391 on Solutions Physical Media, where I pointed to his work covering the Cyber Polygon event. And that's something that is going to be unfolding in the newswires uh, in the next few weeks. So we'll see how that goes. But as I say, if you're not subscribed to Ice Age Farmer's various Uh, channels. I hope you do so because there is some valuable information in there. So I'm glad to talk to him today. Christian Westbrook, thank you for coming on the program.
1: Well, thanks very much, James. Uh, I've been a fan of your work for almost over a decade now.
0: So um, it's truly an honor to be here. Thank you. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on to talk about some extremely important subjects, namely food supply insecurity and what we can do about that. But before we get into that, I suppose the obvious question to ask is about the moniker, ice age farmer question mark why ice age farmer sure so i was looking mostly at the idea that you know
1: we've seen the club of rome and the u.n uh looking like they're going to use this climate wedge as the way that they take total control over humanity and drive our behaviors towards the agenda they want um and so i was looking because of that a lot at the the reality of the climate situation that being that it is uh, cycles of the sun that drive a lot of the natural cycles of our environment here and uh, when you look back at, uh, you know, there's there's both a very short cycle, an 11-year Schwab cycle of the sun, but there are also these larger cycles that are called grand minima and grand maxima. And um, we are, as it turns out, going into a grand minimum right now. If you look back at the previous cycles, this has very real effects on our food production. And so I really narrowed in a few years back on this the, you know, because it was the, the linchpin of their agenda and because I saw that food was going to be a huge part of this. So Ice Age Farmer was really the where we all need to be going right now, growing our own food and trying to figure out how to uh, weather the climate storm ahead of us. So that's where that comes from.
0: Well, I think you're exactly right to um, to locate the importance of the food supply, food security issues to this agenda. Uh, it's not something that I dwell on or have spent a lot of my research time on, but probably should, and increasingly so, because as you lay out in your research, it is becoming more and more central to the the agenda as it pushes forward. And in order to, let me use the inevitable joke, uh, set the table for today's conversation, I wanted to take a look at a couple of documents that you've pointed out in your work that I think are worth talking about. One of them is Reset the Table, Meeting the Moment to Transform the U.S. Food System by Our Pals at the Rockefeller Foundation, and The Man Behind the Curtain, the Gates Foundation's influence on the U.N. Food Systems Summit. These are two documents that I've discovered through your work that I think quite obviously lay out part of what this agenda is about, but perhaps you can put it on the table for us. What what is what are these documents? What do they point out to us about where this agenda is heading?
1: Sure. So the the Rockefellers reset the table, which continues to say how to meet the moment to fundamentally transform the U.S. food system uh, is one of these set of documents. There's one sort of takes different forms around the world. There's one in the EU that's called Farm to Fork how we're going to create a sustainable, equitable situation. Uh, China's got a version uh, called uh, Clean Your Plate, uh, and they sort of codify in their own local ways the, the words and the, the ideas we've seen flowing down from the UN, and again, indeed, from the Club of Rome before them, uh, that we need to be eating bugs in order to save the planet and these sorts of things. Um, it's really, it's, it's sort of written in the kind of globalist gobbledygook language that talks about stakeholders, and we're going to create this equitable, sustainable future, um when you dig into it, though, it, it is talking about we're going to shut down traditional farming and ranching. We're going to make the case that it's dirty and antiquated and it's a barbarous relic like gold. And we simply, James, we, we can't afford to take the risk of continuing to do things the way we have been. Uh, since the dawn of time, and that means we're we're going to take away your ability to raise your own food and your ability to raise animals and dictate, just as we now are, what goes in your body through vaccines. You know, Because of this uh, public health crisis globally, global problems require global solutions, and since diet is part of the health situation here, we're going to marry these two things, and we're also going to take total control of what you eat. And so that's sort of what the document sort of it, it sets out to do and starts chipping away at doing.
0: You know, it is interesting. It's not the part that I consciously dwell on. But of course, it has been an important part of that Malthusian formulation since the time of Malthus that, oh, the population is increasing exponentially, but food supply is increasing arithmetically. Therefore, and it's always been that food supply insecurity has been the reason that has always been shoved in our face for these momentous transformations of human society. And here we are yet again. So back... 50 years ago, we had the Green Revolution. Hey, everybody, just take all these modern farming implements and all these modern farming methods that, oh, by the way, run on you know, Rockefeller oil, and uh, use that. And that will transform the food supply. And then it became the gene revolution. Well, we'll just genetically modify all these organisms to g- yield so much greater uh, yields. And they, they still, in their documents, point to the flavor saver tomato. Well, actually, it didn't really work, and no one bought it, and it's not sold anymore. But it was a great step forward for solving food supply issues somehow. Uh, golden rice and all these other things that they've continued to promote. But in... Actually, I mean, as much as I know about that part of the agenda, it gets even creepier and crazier the way they are literally trying to limit our ability to, to do what humans have done throughout all of recorded history and into prehistory, which is farm and or raise livestock in order to feed ourselves. They are trying to eliminate our ability to do that. Perhaps you can outline some of the attack points that they are using and the ways they are trying to limit our ability to make our own way in life.
1: Yeah, you're you're dead on that this is not just something they're doing, it's food 2.0, but we can just uh, open market, we can keep doing things the old way. No, they have to eliminate food 1.0 and force us on food 2.0. They must kill off humanity 1.0 to become humanity 2.0. Um, we see animal wearf- welfare and animal rights being used as another one of these wedges where um, uh, bills like IP13 in Oregon are saying we have to shut down ranching, you can keep animals and you can only eat them if they die of natural causes. Well, that, that means you can't raise animals for, for meat anymore. Um, and so different areas are taking different sort of attacks, like the animal welfare versus the zoonotic risk. Um, and then water is a big one right now. You're seeing this is really breaking through the headlines in this past week. This massive mega drought across the West as the New York Times is out there ringing that bell. And they are actively shutting down the irrigation, both to farming and ranching, which means you've got farmers who are having to truck in water just to keep their animals uh, fed. So they will use any number of policy interventions and uh, hard interventions like things that, that uh, you, geoengineering, where it's hard to point the finger at them, but you're very aware that something is going on. And particularly in light of the fact that this is their stated goal, you can see all of
0: these things coming together. So it's it's it, they have a number of weapons in their arsenal, but they're all
1: being implemented right now.
0: Right. And this is getting pretty dark for a Solutions Watch episode, but it is important to understand this because, as you say, if, if it was only about them trying to sell us this GM crap and we could say, know and just grow our own food, that's one thing. But if they're actively trying to stop our ability to actually f- grow food ourselves, then that's a very different problem that will require different solutions. So let's reorient this conversation towards that solutions focus. What can we begin to do to actually put a dent in this agenda, derail it, or create our own food supply systems? What What is it that we should be actively engaged in?
1: So a, that is the question it's a big question and uh, I, I think before even starting to try to answer it, it's it's healthy to step back and acknowledge that this is a uh, it's a non-trivial problem we're facing right now and part of what makes it hard is that um, you know the, the current system is being demolished right they, they've already destroyed the old normal um, they've got the supply chains in chaos and they're continuing to attack that they've got these vaccines going out um, just the, it's it's pretty ridiculous what we're going through right now Um, We have to accept, though, that that old normal is already gone. And right now, unfortunately, the only solution that that is really out there is the World Economic Forum solution. This fail-forwards further into no farming and ranching and biotech, nanotech foods, to blockchain and AI and cybernetic Internet of Bodies, all the future that they've described that as people are learning about it, nobody really wants. And that's kind of the good news here. Nobody wants this World Economic Forum solution. Um, But because there's no alternative, that's, that's sort of just the default way that we're, we're failing forward. So we need that alternative. And there are some good dialogues out there. The greater Reset, you know, Michael Tellenders, uh, Ubuntu, Reiner Fulmick is having some good discussions. But a lot of these are centered around how do we push back on the World Economic Forum. And so there's still, um, like I said, when you reach for what's the alternative here, it still feels like we have what John Rappaport would say is, is a failure of imagination. We're just we're coming up blank. Um, I'm not sure how we solve that that big problem, because the nature of this problem is the centralization. That's that's the real root of this problem, and so the nature of our solution is a decentralized system, and that means that it necessarily has many forms. So I can't give you the solution. We can just talk about the idea that it involves massively decentralizing, and then we can sort of speak to some properties that any number of these pieces of the solution probably have. Um, Go ahead.
0: Well, I I was just going to say that that's uh, obviously that resonates with the message that I'm constantly putting out. Decentralization, disintermediation of the system that has been so carefully centralized to the point where the idea of cutting us off from our own ability to grow food is even possible or imaginable. That has never been even thinkable in human history up until this point where now we are generally trained to be on the factory farming to supermarket supply line where we're just going to the supermarket and there's this prepackaged meal and oh now it's synthetic lab meat okay whatever uh, that 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 wouldn't have been possible in any previous era of human history the problem the real root of the problem is that we have so thoroughly forsaken the alternative infrastructure for a decentralized distribution of food supply that most people are probably unaware of the options that are even around them about being able to buy directly from from ranchers or, or farmers in their own area because that that infrastructure has been so dilapidated. Um, how? Do, yeah, I mean, I guess my my thoughts are along the lines of we have to build up that infrastructure now. We should have been doing it 10 years ago. But hey, how about now? Um, what, what do you think about that?
1: Absolutely, yeah. It was death by a thousand cuts in the name of convenience that got us here. Um, and so, yes, recognizing that, that, um, that, that the only way that they actually have power is by virtue of us depending on them. And so that speaks to the obvious uh, first part of this uh, property of what these distributed solutions look like, which is self-sufficiencies. We get off of these systems that they're destroying. So we start growing food. We start producing our own goods. There's a, really a shift from consumption to production. And that's where I think at all levels, starting with our own and then moving out to your local economy and then uh, growing out from there, the shift has to happen. Um, So growing food is a huge part of that. I talk about that a lot. I always want to name the five principles of good soil husbandry because that's just the most basic and effective way of uh, growing really good nutritious food. Um, And it also works at any level, like your kitchen shelf all the way up to your whole regenerative farm operation. Um, so I know we're short on time, so I'll just say check out those five soil principles. Maybe we'll come back at the end if we have time. Um, saving seeds is another big part of that. Seeds are amazing because they learn. They learn about the environment you're growing them in. And so um, you know if you, order, if you have to order them online and you get them that way, that's fine. It's even better if you can get them from your neighbors or someone in your local area. And there's plenty of ways to do that from seed libraries, seed exchanges, local county extensions of your state Uh, Ag uh, University will often be able to give you seeds for free. Um, and if you can start with those seeds that are closer to, closer to home for you, they're going to do better. Otherwise it's fine. You just take those seeds from the internet and give them a season and they'll start acclimating. They'll figure out your growing season is shorter or there's less water the shade in the afternoon. Whatever the, uh, the specific story is that goes along with those is great. And then from, again, from then on, you have abundant seeds to share with your neighbors along with that story. Oh, they really preferred the afternoon shade for whatever whatever reason, um, But but just really realizing that there's magic, there's life in, the, in these seeds and they learn uh, and you start to see that they are a form of wealth. This is why they used to be part of, you know, someone's getting married and you hand them the family seeds and, and pass those down. Uh, keeping animals is a huge part of this too. You see, you know, uh, we, we can learn a lot by looking at their vectors of attack. And one of their primary ones is ending animal agriculture and taking away our animals. And that's because, in fact, one of those five principles of soil health is integrating animals into that uh, loop of nutrients and, and energies across your homestead. You need that manure. You need them to digest the, the grazing stuff that really isn't good for us anyway and turn that into usable energy on your homestead. So keeping animals, keeping seeds, um, practicing good soil husbandry, this is all part of how we start to move the needle in terms of our homestead being self-sufficient.
0: Well, yeah, let's let's not leave people hanging on that. Let's Let's take the time to walk through those five principles of good soil husbandry.
1: Perfect. Uh, So number one is it's all about, all five of them are about cultivating uh, a a rich, resilient microbiome in your soil. Because when you've got this hardy, resilient um, ecology going on in your soil, they almost can't help but produce tons of vegetation for you, which feeds you. Um, So you got to feed them and you got to protect them. And, And all of that is encoded in these five principles, which are, number one, minimize disturbance to the soil. So if you have to till it once to to get the whole thing started, I understand. But after that, this really does speak to no-till, not going in there with any implement and breaking up the network of mycelial fungus that's passing around nutrients to the plants and just disturbing this life. If we're gonna spend our time uh, cultivating it, we wanna protect it. So we're gonna keep it, minimize disturbance. We're gonna keep it covered at all times. Gabe Brown calls this uh, armor for your soil. So it's just, um, you know, whether it's a mulch or something to keep the, the, the heat of the sun and the wind from spraying all your soil around, just keep it protected. Uh, And then, beyond just keeping it covered, there's also the the idea of keeping a living root in the soil at all times. This is why cover crops are really important, even in the off-season, is that a plant is really the device by which the energy of the sun is captured and then fed out into the soil in the form of sugars and these exudates, these uh, rich um, solutions that the plants actually push out through their roots into the soil. And then the web of life in the soil, all those mycorrhizal fungi and all these things move the the nutrients around to wherever it needs to be, including to other plants in your garden. So this is this is you're building a highway system for energies and nutrients within your soil. It's really incredible. Um, four is maximizing biodiversity, which just means monocropping is the opposite of monocropping, right? Just one of one kind of uh, plant spread over everywhere. It's going to open you up to all kinds of disease. It's a very weak way, it's just a bad way of doing business. Uh, and it's unnatural also is sort of a, a good clue. So you want to maximize biodiversity, plant lots of different things. If you look at a lot of systems, it talks about companion companion planting, which just says, you know, hey, tomato and calendula do really well together, where this plant eats the pests that typically affect this one. So not only can we encourage better production, but they can protect each other. And it's just teamwork, right? Teaming, teaming up your plants together, maximizing biodiversity, and then again, like I said before, that fifth one, but a big one, an important one, uh, integrating animals into your homestead. So uh, keeping the nutrients and getting that manure production is really, it's just magical. I've got some rabbits and by far the most explosive growth anywhere on my homestead. And sometimes even by accident, it's not where I plan to have stuff grow, but it's because the rabbits were there for a time and now it's just exploding with verdant life. And so, yeah, integrating animals is a huge thing.
0: Obviously, such an important part of of this even i mean of course once you get into it and you're doing it and knowing about these principles and how to apply them is important and then learning about your local terrain and the local factors etc but even just the experience of growing something is something that so many of us have been denatured from in the urban environments that we live in that we forget the fundamental abundance of the earth and that these natural systems are, are developed so that they, they do work with each other and these things work in concert to produce life that we then benefit from the wealth of that abundance is itself, it is a miraculous thing that we have become so denatured from that we don't even connect to it. We don't even see it on a daily basis. So I think just connecting with the soil at all is, I think, important for, for rooting us in this, um, which speaks uh, to something that you mentioned earlier, which is that mostly, when you lay it out for people in this way and what the World Economic Forum and their cronies are aiming at with this transformation of the food system, most people are revolted by it or put off by it or have second thoughts about it. But that's generally not the way people will encounter this. They will encounter it through the media, the sort of second or third-hand media coverage that stem from these types of UN and, and EU and Rockefeller Foundation reports. It filters down through the media in ways that sound so wonderful. Oh, we're going to feed the world with all this abundance from this genetically modified nonsense and all of this sort of stuff. So I think that speaks to the point that narrative is an exceptionally important part of, of this solution, whatever it looks like. If people don't understand why they even need to be opposed to this agenda, then how will they ever think of how to oppose this agenda? Um... And I think this connects into what you were talking about at that greater reset conference that you mentioned earlier. You're talking about the greater food transformation and intention and our intention going into this and what kind of thing we're trying to create. um, it, It sounds, you know, mystical or woo woo, but it's I think there's something really there that the intention that we bring into something, the love that we use to help bring about this abundance is an important part of this and something that again reconnects us to nature that's a lot and i'm not sure i have a question mark at the end of that but if there's anything there you'd like to respond to please do
1: yeah no great points i especially like the use of the word denaturing people from what they're used to it's it's a huge part of the transhumanist agenda is to divorce us from the land to to separate us even further from our from from what our food is and um like we said if you're going to eliminate human 1.0, well, food is a big part of our traditions. All of our holidays are associated with harvest calendars. And, you know, like, it's it really is an innate part of of our culture and what makes us who we are. So, yeah, destroying those bonds, separating us from our food and our soil is a huge part of that. Um, and, uh, And yes, also, we have to spread the word. And that's why I think education is a big part of that. Let me actually circle back to that in one second, because you mentioned also the greater food transformation and the essence of that is that there is uh, is the idea that by virtue of doing all the things we just talked about on your own homestead because it's the right way to, to be because it's the better way to grow to eat right because it removes your dependence on the systems so we're doing it for all the right reasons and also because by virtue of doing this yourself as other people also do uh, do the same thing there is an emergent Decentralized food system, like the one we wish we could just create overnight, but it, it doesn't, you know, we can't do that. You'd have to have a magic wand, or you'd have to have a central control, which is the the, the first problem in the beginning, right? So, um, you really can't just divine that itself. It's it, it emerges by virtue of us all doing the right thing. So I think that's an important point. That um, that's sort of the inductive case how your local economy emerges, is from an interdependent, well-constructed, um, functioning local economy. Is is comprises many independent, uh, self sufficient individuals. So that's why we all are having to make that that switch from consume to produce. And moreover, those of us that are having this conversation now have to be doing it in such a way that we're able to help other people nearby make that same transition as they sort of figure out, oh, this this whole thing's burning down. I need to start growing my own food. I need to start harvesting lumber, whatever it is that, that they're ready to do, if we can be there <laughs> before the supply chain has completely collapsed, right, to help them equip themselves and make that transition themselves, then we're all better off for it. Um, so, yeah, so the, the when you talk about the local economy, I think anything that we can do to support local food systems, uh, bolster and protect those producers, uh, but not just of food, really, of anything, and, uh, and advocating for solutions like the one, actually, that you mentioned in your talk at the Greater Reset about the uh, the local currency that was created was a script created in a town in Austria that really demonstrated, you know, this is, and this is why it's such an important historical data point, is that this isn't just some dude on the internet saying, oh, we can print money and we'll, be, well maybe we'll be all right. No, this is a historically tried and tested, true, really worked, even among Weimar-style hyperinflation taking down a national currency, there were pockets of people who thrived because they printed local script and had the proper incentives to keep the, mo- the velocity of money up. That was just such an amazing case study to bring up like that, um, that uh, that th- th- it is possible for us to thrive even as the big system is collapsing. And it's you know that can happen, and we can be all right. And so that's kind of a nice just sort of thing to realize there. Um, but yes, so then when we talk about education, I do think this is a linchpin as well, because if we go do the right things, but these other people are falling further into the WEF agenda, and they've really been, unfortunately, they've been weaponized against us. So they're advocating for them to take our animals from us because it's too dangerous. They're advocating for us to eat bugs to save the earth from cow farts, right? They, they, that's what I mean when I say they've been weaponized. So we can't just stop at doing the right thing ourselves. We actually have to get a little, a little uncomfortable. We have to go out and try and push these people in the right direction. You can call that outreach or education, real journalism, information activism. Um, it's i mean again the good news is that people don't want like you just said again people don't want these wef solutions it's pretty unpopular and bill gates is tremendously unpopular right now so we just need to make sure that people are aware there are viable alternatives like that historical data point. Here's some examples of other systems that would work. Um, and yeah, we got to make ourselves uncomfortable. We got to be talking to everybody constantly and moving that Overton window back to somewhere that's acceptable. I think enforcing the Overton window that you want to live in is is perhaps a new concept, but it's one we need to get familiar with real soon here because uh, we got to get the conversation back to a healthy place. And radical authenticity is also part of the solution because that helps to do that when we just look at people and say this is crazy these i mean this stuff is out of control i want no part in working at big tech when we're building a prison for humanity i want no part for my children to go to these schools where they're now using real-time tracking to monitor social behavioral indicators i don't i'm not putting my kid in that i'm not going to take part in this bug food right we just We radically opt out and remove our consent from the system. And if enough people do that, then it just, you know, it becomes those crazy, silly people over there with no enforcement to them. They still need uh, enough buy-in from humanity right now to get things across the line. So we got to keep researching. We got to keep documenting. We got to keep spreading the word about these things, not to the point where it consumes us. Right. Because we remember the words of Karl Rove, who said, we're an empire now and we're going to take some actions and you can study those actions. But while you're studying, we'll act again and then you can study that. But you'll just that's the way history will play out is we're history's actors and you'll just be left to study us. So I don't think we want to fall into that trap. I think we need to study their actions to the extent that it informs our response. And to the extent that we need to uh, be able to educate everyone else around us to in en- to, to unweaponize them and to enlist their help in building up these alternatives. But um, but we, James, are history's actors. And they're just really servicing their dying dream at this point. So um, and then if you really want to take it further, and this is why I say this is it's an it's a radical and even uncomfortable idea for me. But if you look at what they're doing, all of their documents are about really applying social engineering pressures Hard. I mean, they they talk about uh, we need to make meat eaters feel like they're shameful. We need to use you know, they should feel like they're smoking cigarettes if they're anywhere near the restaurant. Like they should be shamed and just it should be uh, a t- a totally made taboo so that we can put people onto the diet that we want them to eat. So if we if we look at that and we understand that and we say how do we flip that? How do we do that? Then it would be openly mocking people or saying, you know, that's child abuse to someone who's putting a a, a mask on their child. It would be really laying it on thick. And I don't mean to be a jerk about it, but I mean to be an effective, again, enforcing the Overton window that you want to live in means that you're out there loudly, um, uh, but politely saying that this is not appropriate, that you can't put your kids in a school that's going to do this kind of data gathering to them. It's not, it's not uh, a future that we can do that. So, um, yeah, I think not exactly openly. I, I I lack words to really to put to put this into language. But um, there's something short of openly mocking people that still gets the message across. And if we all start engaging in this kind of again, it's it's radical authenticity. If we radically authentically right. react to this craziness, right. there are enough people who who even if we arm them with the data, they just, they're, I don't know what's going on there. They're not making the change. But when they see that society is moving in a direction that they, they weren't, oh, well, maybe they start moving that way too. And so remember the Ash conformity studies. Sometimes it only takes one critical voice to somehow spur the rest of that room back into uh, critical thinking and discernment. And so we all <laughs> we all have to be really loud to make sure that, that we are that voice being heard right now.
0: No, exactly right. And being I think being unafraid to confront people with the truth and with what you know is coming and the fact that you're not comfortable with it. I think we have to, as you say, get comfortable with letting people know this is not the way. Nope, this is not normal for me and I'm not going along with it. And uh, I think we need to start doing that because, yeah, you're exactly right. The next thing that's going, I mean, it, I can see it In my head already, the next thing that's going to happen, there's going to be the waves of people, you know, marching into restaurants and, oh, I can't believe you guys are eating meat. Don't you know what it's doing to the environment? And that'll get all sorts of play on. It'll go viral on social media. And then the mainstream media will be covering it. Oh, this new phenomenon that's happening. Like, I can see that kind of coordinated social change campaign being rolled out in the media as one one of the attack vectors of this agenda. So to counteract that... um, I I don't think I like to frame our vision of what we're going for as self-sufficiency because I think that puts the emphasis in the wrong place, but community interdependence, where it's a conscious community that is forming around being able to provide these things for ourselves, not myself, but ourselves, because obviously you're not going to grow everything you need yourself. But if we frame it in that way, we need community interdependence. We need to build up the community structures to make that happen. We need, of course, we need the farmers and ranchers and people who are getting their fingers dirty. And we should all be engaged in that to some extent. But we should also, of course, be actively supporting the people in our communities who are doing that. We need organizers who will be the type of people who put this community together and help it help it run, who are creating the farmers markets and the spaces and the ability for this these transactions to take place. We need uh, people who are helping to form that narrative and articulate it in a way that other people can see the problem, and see what's coming and go, no, we don't want that. We need people who can articulate that. And then we need the proselytizers, the people who can reach out to other people, their neighbors, their friends, insert this into their daily conversations. So I think there's a lot of room for a lot. I mean, everyone's always saying, what can I do about it? Well, there's, pick a role. There's many different roles. And perhaps I've missed some out. Is there any other sort of things that you think people can be doing here?
1: I think we couldn't possibly name them all because it really will take all of us. It, I mean, this is just the end zone, and we all have to be 100%, and we all come from different backgrounds and have different skill sets. And I, I can't speak to what yours are, but I know we need it right now. Some examples of that just because it's helpful like, um, you know, when we talk about growing food a lot, and so I'll hear from some guy who says, you know, I, I'm a computer programmer, I don't know how to raise animals, I can't grow food. I'm like, whoa. All of the farmers just lost their market, you know, when the COVID shutdowns happen. And there's, I, I hear from farmers every day who need access to a distribution channel, who need to reconnect with consumers. And if you can help this guy with a shopping cart on a WordPress, you know, whatever it is that you can h- hook up for this guy, so that he can re-establish direct consumer things that cut out all the regulation, which is one of the vectors of attack we just identified, and um, and make this, you know, a healthier, better local food system, then go do it. If you're a lawyer who can help defend the farmers markets that are being shut down in the name of public safety. We need you there. We need your help. Uh, Whatever your background is. I basically, I just, I promise you, we need you right now.
0: Absolutely. There's a role for everyone. So uh, excellent stuff. Obviously we can only just sort of skim over the surface of this in a conversation like this. So I will once again recommend people go to iceagefarmer.com and start exploring your archives. Tons of very valuable information On a lot of different subjects, but all that swirl around the same agenda, I'll point out your recent podcast on WEF's Invest in Forests Exposed, which goes back... To a piece of propaganda that i think i was first exposed to in my watch i watched the super bowl commercials thing a couple of years ago that was so crazy that i couldn't even quite believe it at the time and i guess i just didn't i didn't pursue it but this microsoft we're gonna measure every blade of grass in the forest and know everything that's happening and of course invest in forests means create the complete global biosurveillance grid for every life form on the planet eventually i mean it just sounds so crazy you have to actually start to dig into it to see that they're actually, unfortunately, quite serious about this. So I will recommend people take a look at your work in that, uh, on that subject and in other regards as well. Um, lots and lots to think about. And, of course, I will put the link into your talk at the Greater Reset uh, Activation Conference about the greater food transformation, obviously relevant to today's t- uh, conversation. Lots more to talk about. I hope we get a chance to talk more in the future. Christian Westbrook, thank you for your time today.
1: Thanks so much, James.